save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. Next, on the OHIO Podcast, we review Ohio State's win over Arkansas State, and we talk about who might be the next coach in Lincoln, Nebraska. And that all starts right now. It's so easy to be average. You know it as well as I know it. It takes a little something to be special, Don. It takes a little something special to be a great player. We don't have enough great players. To hell with that! We don't want to coach average. I don't want to be around you. Why be around average? proud of our young people in the classroom, in the community, and most especially in 310 days in Ann Arbor, Michigan, on the football field. Three things. Number one, the team that hits the hardest and the longest, the team that starts the fastest, and the team is too damn smart to make mistakes. If you take it to them, if you don't make mistakes, and you keep taking it to them, hell, there's no question who wins. Buckeye Podcast, by fans, for the fans, where they hate that team up north as much as you do. It's time for the OHIO Podcast. OHIO! Welcome back to the OHIO Podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Buckeye Boggs, recording live from another victorious North Central Ohio ball. I'm also joined by both of my co-hosts, easy enough for me to say, from Marion, Ohio, Chris Wilds. How was Finley, Ohio today, Chris? It was Tiff in Ohio, Eric. Same difference, isn't it? Uh, yeah, basically. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, it was it was a good time. Uh, you know, I, I always enjoy getting out there and, and working the flea market out there, you know, peddling my wares a little bit. And uh, it's a good way to spend a weekend, make a little bit of coin. And uh, hey, I'll tell you, they got some great Ohio State fans up there, too. Beautiful. Uh, we, Love we went through, I won't even tell you how many jerseys we went through. Nice. It was it was awesome. Bunch of autograph stuff went so over the last couple of days. So yeah, it was really great. We got one more we're doing this year, and that's going to be on October first and second up there. Fantastic. And I'm also joined by my other co-host, the man from down in Texas. He's Sergeant MVP Aaron Brown. Man, rough day yesterday for the Texas teams. Yeah, you know. Texas kind of got screwed, and the whole state knows it. And that's the problem. It's it's uh, almost a, a mutiny was formed here against those referees. I'm surprised any of them got out of there. Well, everybody knows if you're going to beat Alabama, you're also going to have to beat Alabama's referee. Facts. I mean, they're on the payroll, dude. So that's all. That's across the board. Everybody knows that when you play Alabama, you got to beat the refs as well. All right, guys, let's jump right into this uh, this podcast this weekend. Interesting game yesterday. 
I've heard positive. I've heard negative. Let's start with your initial reactions. Aaron, I'll go to you first, my man. A victorious Saturday for the Buckeyes against Arkansas State. That was not a very bad FBS team right there. That's a team that's going to be, uh, I think, a bowl team. What'd you think, man? You know, I was I was kind of surprised, and, and this kind of goes back to last week at how split the run game is. It's so evenly split between Williams and Henderson uh, carries wise. You know, I, I kind of anticipated that Henderson would take the lion's share of the of the carries. And even though he gets more carries, like he only has three more total carries on the season than what Williams does. And I, I, I can't really fault Coach Day for that. You know, if you got two really good running backs, let them run. You know, I, I, I'm just kind of surprised. That's all. It's not a negative, not really a positive thing either. Just kind of an observation. Um, I was disappointed again in the penalties. The the lack of discipline is is kind of surprising. You know, like week one, we could probably blame a little bit of that on excitement, uh, you know, stuff like that. But two weeks in and you're at home and you're it's a noon game against a, a, a much lesser opponent. I don't know that this is really a nerves thing. I, I it's it's a discipline thing, and hopefully they get that fixed because you go to into a tougher game where it's one or two possessions. Uh, that's a bad look. That's that's real bad news right there. Um, and then the last observation I have that was it's pretty rough is our secondary has got to get better. Uh, if if Arkansas State is doing that. What do you think Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, what do you think those type of teams are going to do? Like, what happened to Denzel Burke? What happened to that guy? He was absolutely killer last year. And now all of a sudden he's jumping into receivers, not turning his head. It just it, it, it you know how I feel about that kind of stuff, man, because that's that's the positions that I played. And it's 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 very frustrating to watch a guy that was so top level last year as a freshman come back a year later. And it's like he just forgot what he was doing, I guess. You know, I mean, no disrespect to Arkansas State, uh, that that the little receiver or uh, what's his name? Flemings. Yeah. You know, you could easily lose that guy. I get it. He's fast and he's short. So that that's kind of a double whammy right there. But. For Denzel Burke to get lost in coverage like that, man, and and it, it wasn't just this week. It was Notre Dame as well. I'm just a little bit flabbergasted at what I've been seeing in the secondary. All right, Chris, top that. I'll tell you, you know, first of all, let's start out with I've seen this online numerous times since this game yesterday. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. But let's not prove to the world how stupid we are by saying Ryan Day needs to go. Okay? What? Oh, I've seen that multiple times on Facebook. I did not. That's crazy. And that is absolutely insane. That is perhaps the most ignorant statement I've ever heard. I'm sorry. Based on uh, what? You know, now, let me jump into the game a little. Yeah. Let me jump into the game a little bit. Offensively, I was happy to see we got a little more production out of the passing game. We still kept that balance in the running game. You know, the fact that, and Aaron mentioned it, they're splitting these carries so evenly. We're going to have two fresh guys when we get into that Big Ten schedule and hopefully into the college football playoff. You know, these guys are not running a ton of care or having a ton of carries. So happy about that. Happy about the production. We'll have to see us scoring touchdowns on the ground in a game now. 
you know, um, defensively now, and Aaron mentioned the penalties and I'm hundred percent there with him there too, because the penalties were a major concern for me. You know, at first I thought you might justify a little bit of it by saying, okay, well, maybe we're trying to be overly aggressive, but you know what? We are lining up off sides constantly. It seems that that's, that's basics. That's football one-on-one there. You simply look where you're at. And if your head's over the, you know, that imaginary line of scrimmage there, you move, you get back, you know, these guys. Yeah. The discipline's got to improve. And like Aaron said, the defensive back play has got to improve. Now, Denzel had a few okay spots, but yeah, he, he's just looking off right now. Um, I thought that Cam looked pretty decent yesterday. But uh, yeah, that little Flemings was giving him all kinds of problems. And while he is a really good quality receiver for an Arkansas State team that has bowl aspirations, he shouldn't be handling Ohio State caliber cornerbacks the way he was. Uh, so for me, uh, again, there were positives. Um, the, the defense, other than, than the defensive backs, I thought was fairly solid outside of the penalties. So, yeah, overall, I would say it, it was a mixed bag. Um, but a win's a win. It gets us another step closer uh, to where we want to be. So, I guess I'm going to say it this way. I think it was a, I think it was a solid win. I think it was a win that Ryan Day and his staff can use to use as far as coaching and technique that needs to be addressed. We're going to get into the whole penalties going on here. That's that's a that's an issue all in its own. Um, I feel very strongly, guys, that that this team has got. I won't call them holes, but there is definitely some weaknesses. One of them you brought up, uh, Aaron, the the cornerbacks, not not so not so not necessarily Cam Brown, but again Burke, I that was a bad game. Um, the inability by some people on the defensive side to um, play, as my Notre Dame fan said a week ago, you have to play by the rules. Um, the the penalties on the defensive line. Um, again, Taraja Mitchell gets in the game. What's he do, Aaron? Penalty. <laughs> he jumped over the shield. <laughs> what? what? Uh, I've so, never seen that done. <laughs> okay, that was a three and out that we allowed them to extend the drive that they end up getting a field goal on. Okay, okay. Um, going into going into halftime, walking off the field, we get a personal foul. Who does that? Like, and, and here's the thing. It's the seniors who are getting most of these penalties. This, that is why I'm so dumbfounded by – at this point, okay, I'm just going to say it. What is Zach Harrison adding to this team? I, I take it your silence means you don't have an answer. I, at I this don't point, have, I, no, at I've this, been on this for the last you know, six months with him. Yeah, at this point, I don't have an answer either. Uh, he just, just he hasn't performed. Up. Okay, he does nothing. We get in the fourth quarter. We have a freshman get into the game, and he he instantly shines. Caden Curry. Oh, let's, he looked good. 
let the kid play. He's offering something more than Zach Harrison is. I know Caden Curry's going to make a few mistakes. He's a true freshman. But my gosh, at least he cares. Facts. I, it's, there, there are some, there are some major holes on this team. I won't call them holes again. Weaknesses. We, we've got to sure up some of the dumb mistakes that are being made by our upperclassmen. And if they're not going to play and they're not going to offer this team, cut them loose, Ryan. Sit them on the bench. You did it a week ago to Proctor. He misses the tackle. You pulled him off the uh, off the field and set his butt on the bench for an entire week. Now they started him again, and he did okay. Again, he didn't really do anything that I thought was outstanding. Get in the fourth quarter, Lathan Ransom gets in the game, boom, two tackles instantly. Let the kids play. If you want to compete with Georgia and Alabama, you, you're going to have to, to roll the dice with some of these younger kids. It's where the talent is. That's my two cents. That's what I'm taking from away from the game. I thought it was good. It was a good win. But I want to see Ryan Day and his coaching staff get very aggressive with the roster and say, we're serious. We're not your best friends. We're not here to be your friends. We have a job to do. We're getting paid millions of dollars to win. We're going to put the product on the field that's going to produce the most W's or the best chance to get the big wins, beat Michigan, get our Big Ten title, <coughs> and a chance to go to the CFP. <coughs> And I'm still dealing with <coughs> and I'm still dealing with my sickness. So bear with me. All right, moving on. Let's give um the report card, guys. I will start with you, Aaron. Let's give the offense a letter grade for yesterday. Uh I gave him an A minus. And a lot of that stems from some of the penalties. They lost a fumble. Uh, and they absolutely got destroyed on time of possession, which I, you know, I can't really fault them too much for that because, uh, I mean, when you can score six touchdowns in 22 minutes and 16, you know, seconds, that's pretty solid. Uh, yards per play was way up. You know, we're at 10 yards per play on 54 plays. They had 538 total yards, 370 passing, 168 rushing. Um, I, I really don't have too many gripes. I, I would have liked to have seen the third down efficiency a little bit better. Uh, last week, it was a little over 50%. This week, it was a little bit under. Again, I can't be too upset, but, you know, these things add up when you're talking about, you know, when we go to play that team up north or or a, a much more challenging opponent, these numbers have to be better. But uh, for for what we saw in, in week two, I'll take it. A minus. Chris. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I actually went A minus as well, and the main thing for me was the penalties. It really was because I thought we saw a whole lot of improvement. That I think that uh, you know uh, CJ was much more in sync with those young receivers this week. I mean, they looked good. Um, again, the balance in the running game is there. Uh, you know, overall, I thought the line did a pretty decent job. So. Outside of the penalties, I thought it was a great effort. I went A minus as well. Well, let's go ahead and make that three. I won't uh, regurgitate anything else you guys did. I know we got other stuff we want to get into later in this show, so I'll just say eight minus as well. And uh, again, I think it was good to see CJ Stroud um, play a better game. Um, I, I thought the running game was decent. Uh, 
so uh, yeah, a minus. It can be can it be better? Yeah, absolutely can. But that's winning football. Other side of the ball, Chris. I'll start with you. Defense first. Yeah. So defense, um, I I gotta ding them a little bit, um, and I'm gonna go with a B minus on this one. Uh, you know, they did hold them without a touchdown, which is great. But you know what? We made a lot of stupid penalties. Um, and again, the, the quarterback play was not exactly exceptional. Did love the bounce we had out of our linebackers, though. I mean, we had all of our linebackers had at least two tackles that got in the game. So I thought that was tremendous. But, uh, yeah, we, we've got to get a, get on point if we're going to be, you know, serious contenders. I want B-. minus. Aaron, go for it. I said a B, and a lot of it is what Chris said. You know, um, we just – a third down efficiency, you know, they were at 25%. We did keep them to under four yards per play. Uh, yet again, another solid defensive rushing performance, if you will. We, you know, we held them to 53, but the biggest issue is the secondary, 223 passing yards. I don't know that that should have been the case uh, this week, you know, week two or not. That that should not have been the case at all. Uh, and then you throw in the penalties and the fact we couldn't turn the ball over yet again. Um, I just uh, I can't really justify much more than a B right now. Uh, and I, I know I don't mean to harp on him so much, but I'm just so disappointed in, in Denzel Burke's play. You're right. Cam Brown, he's done well. You know, I feel like Tanner McAllister's done okay. Uh, Josh Proctor, like you said, Eric, he hasn't really shown me that, like, anything special. Um, But by the same token, he hasn't given up any big plays looking at you, Bryson Shaw. Um, (laughs) Who's not playing very much, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, you know, sometimes no stats are good stats, too, if that makes sense. So, uh I, I'll take it for what it is. You know, this this was a tune-up game, but I guess I expected a little bit better of a performance uh, out of the out of the secondary and overall. Yeah, I went with a B as well. Um, I, I, this is a this is an A minus defensive performance if you take away the penalties. Yeah, they did not give up a touchdown, and if you if if they hold hold opponents to field goals. With the, given our offense, we're going to win that game 99.9% of the time. But those penalties gave them at least six six of those 12 points. And well, correct me if I'm wrong, Eric. Didn't it extend the entire first drive? It extended not only the first drive. I mean, multiple times penalties came in play. Like, I, like I said, their first field goal was a three and out if we wouldn't have had the penalty. Right. So just the lack of... And, and and the the announcers and I don't know how you guys feel Joshua Perry did that was Joshua Perry's first color commentary uh, uh, that I I've been aware of on big on BTN. Um, he kept saying that the uh, Red Wolves were changing up their snap counts on us. I, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that a common thing, Aaron? Like don't yeah. most teams change their snap counts because that's just football 101. Like, well, I think that what he was getting at is a lot of teams will go, you know, on one, on two or on three. 
But I, you know, a lot of times it's more consistent. Most of the play calls you'll see, well, are not play calls, but the snap counts rather. Uh, it's nine times out of ten, it's on two for some reason. Even you know, but uh, if they go silent or something like that, you know, or if they're mixing it up a lot, like you know, play you know, play one is on two, play three, or play two is on one. You know what I mean? They just keep mixing it up instead of consistently on two. That I think that might be what he's referencing, but no matter what, your eyes should be on the ball. Like you shouldn't be just ball. Yeah, you should not be guessing, regardless of how they're changing up the snap count. So, like Josh Perry saying that, it's it's kind of a little dumb. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Okay, uh, moving on. Let's hit out some Buckeye leaves here. Um, I got my my throat calmed down. Sorry about that. So I, I have uh, an upper respiratory infection, Chris. That's why I sounded like like uh, Darth Vader on our last episode. Right. Um, here we go. So you guys are probably going to break my heart again today, at least on one of these. I know you are. Go pick two people. I can feel it. I, I am not. I can almost hear Aaron right now. He's got a smile on his face. <laughs> I can I can I can feel your smile coming, Aaron. All right, here we go. Offensive player of the game. Aaron, who'd you pick? Uh ripping the band-aid off, I see. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. well <laughs> you'll be happy to know at least for this one, there's only one player, and I gave it oh. to Marvin Harrison Jr. Seven receptions, 184 yards, and three touchdowns. Make that two Buckeye leaves for him. I went with MHJ as well. Another great game. By the way, did you know Marvin Harrison Jr. with this game became only the second wide receiver ever in Ohio State history with three or more touchdowns in in, in two or more games? Can you name me who the other one is? From the 90s. Was it Terry Glenn? It was not. David Boston. David Boston. Strike two. Joey G. Hmm. Ah, that's right. Joey Joey Galloway. Galloway did it against Michigan State and Purdue, I think, in 93 and 94. And here's what's crazy. Marvin Harrison Jr. becomes only the second Buckeye to do that against Utah and now against Arkansas State, and he's done it. In the first two out of three games he's ever started in. That's nuts. He will become, he has a chance to become the most prolific touchdown receiver in Ohio State history. Tell me I'm wrong. No, he's got a solid chance. Absolutely. He's just getting started, guys. Playing like his dad already. Killing it. <laughs> yeah, and here's what's crazy. His dad, I know this stat too. His dad is the only Hall of Fame wide receiver to catch a football in every game he ever played in in the NFL. Hmm. Called consistency, guys. Consistency. All right, I'm assuming, Chris, you're going to make it three for three? Absolutely. All right. Let's go ahead and go to the defensive player of the game. And since you went last, you get to go first this time, Chris. I'll tell you what. For me, it was, it was Steel Chambers. Six tackles, you know, a sack, which, man, he laid the hammer down with that sack, too. Uh, had one tackle for loss. You know, I thought he played a very, very solid game overall, so I went with Steel Chambers. 
All right, the man of steel. I'm just going to follow suit again, make it two for two. He had a great game. Um, he was very consistent. I'll tell you another person who had quietly had a very good game, although I'm not giving him this this Buckeye leaf. I gave it to the man of steel. But Cody Simon came in and played very solid. Six tackles, four solo, yeah. two tackles for loss, and a pass deflection. I thought Cody Simon did himself very well and earned himself some more playing time too. Uh, Aaron, who do you have as the defensive player of the game? So I'd like to give it to the whole defense. I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> I, was, I was about to throw my mic down. But there will be at least two, right, Aaron? Uh, no, no. I actually I went with just Steel Chambers for the same reasons you guys listed. I thought he had a great, uh, great day. I, you know, I, I was thinking Cody Simon, but I just I feel like Steel Chambers was just a little more impactful. You know. Another shout out though, maybe you didn't give him the Buckeye leaf, but Eric, how about the guy who had you and I holding our breath yesterday? Oh God, Michael Hall Jr. Another fabulous game. Yeah, he's he's uh, he's he's an issue for offensive linemen. He's the real deal, man. Yeah, I was I replayed. I actually paused the game and had had my stepson Xander, who plays a defensive end, watch that move about three times. I said, look how he takes his his inside arm and swim moves, and then just throws the offensive lineman down with one arm. I go, that's weight room strength, bud. That's what lifting weights in the offseason will do for you right there, man. Yep. Solid core strength right there. All right. Since since we're talking defense, let's stay on it. Defensive play or hit of the game, you brought him up, Chris, so I'll start here. I went with Michael Hall Jr., It was a fourth and one. He comes through the middle, gets the sack late in the first half. Uh, That was a big that was a big play of the game because Arkansas State was still in the game at that point. And that kind of sealed the deal on them on them making a move to get more points in the first half. That was my defensive player hit of the game. Chris, what do you got? I had the same exact one, Eric. I thought that was just so key to killing the momentum of Arkansas State at that point. All right, Aaron. I went with a different one, um, but it, it kind of is a two-parter, but it's only one Buckeye Leaf, so it's okay. Uh, I like to <laughs> – the way the defensive line uh, kind of split the offensive line just perfectly for Steel Chambers to oh, shoot through that gosh. gap. Yeah. That was just a thing of beauty. I can't really talk about that enough. That was uh, that was really awesome to watch. It was just like parting the Red Sea, and then it was Steel Chambers running across it. You know, what I mean? yeah. but uh, that's that's my defensive play of the game. So Joshua Perry, he kind of, they kind of showed what happened there, and he was talking about how all of the pre-snap movement by the defense is what kind of caused that because the they were looking at the blitz coming from the left side, maybe uh, uh, the, the cornerback or uh, uh, the outside linebacker. And then you were, you're right. Those defensive linemen just kind of parted the Red Sea for him. He went untouched, Aaron. Yeah. I, no, I mean, no one even – they could – by the time they turned their head and went, oh, crap, their quarterback was like literally praying for his life. Yeah, it was it was like snap duck head. I'm about to get killed. Like there was no no chance. He had no chance on that play. That was awesome. And I think it was very similar to the same uh, sack that Eichenberg had against Notre Dame. 
almost yeah, almost I think identical. so. Identical. It was almost identical. So there's something going on pre-snap there that's causing that because as an offensive lineman, you should never miss a blitz right up the middle, man. I mean, well, what what there's what that is is they're shifting because Jim Knowles. This is this is film study. Okay, that's exactly what this is. The analysts credit go to them. Credit goes to the defensive staff uh, and Jim Knowles for recognizing that Uh, when they see a certain formation and they know that they're going to zone block out of it, the defensive line can shift. And this is just an example. This isn't necessarily what happened. Okay, I'd have to go back and look at it. But if they know they're going to zone block and you have the D line shift to the right or to the left into certain gaps, that opens up lanes. It's just like it's just like the offense. Think about it. D, it, it. The offense zone zone blocks. The running back's job is to find a lane, right? Same thing here. They shift down one or two gaps, whatever the case, and they can expose certain lanes, and the linebackers take advantage of it. The difference is we're blitzing way more than we ever used to, so you're yeah. seeing different things. Yeah, I love the aggression of it. Um, it, what it does do though, and this is what I've seen in the first two weeks, and this is kind of a little bit of maybe what we typically do on a Thursday, but I want to talk about it real fast. What the, what I've seen in this Jim Knowles defense where they, uh, they keep calling it a, a safety driven defense. What I am noticing is your cornerbacks are one-on-one about 80% of the time. And I don't know if this was different last year, possibly. But Denzel Burke one-on-one is not doing as hot. Now, I, I Cam Brown seems to be doing fine, but th- that is where the pressure is. And maybe the pressure is getting to him a little bit, Aaron, but that seems to be on this defense. You've got to have two lockdown cornerbacks who are not afraid to go one-on-one. And, yeah, you're not, you're not going to be perfect. I understand that. But, boy, there was a lot of uh, getting lost, it seemed like, from Burke yesterday. Well, so it could also be cover three, okay? So if if we have – I couldn't really see because, like, for whatever reason, they don't show the secondary a whole lot until the right. ball's in it. So it's it's hard to see what they're doing. But looking at it, I don't think that they were in man. I think they were in cover three because a lot of times the corners would stay in their third. And when you have Flemings coming across and he's so fast, I, I don't know. I think that – like maybe Burke's just not that fast of a player. I don't know. Do you happen to know what his 40 time is? I do not, not off the top of my head. <laughs> okay, so maybe that's the case because, I mean, in those zone coverages, they're not following anybody. They're taking what comes to their zone. You know what I mean? Right. So when that occurs and you have somebody like Flemings that's just – he's small and he is just stupid fast, I you know, I could see how that would get lost. And, and Burke – I don't know. Maybe maybe he is having coverage issues. I don't know. But I just I know I observed a lot of it. Like the one play he got called early in the game, he just kind of put his arms in the air and jumped into the receiver. Like, what are you doing? Like what at what point in your career did somebody teach you that that was good technique? Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't know, man. It's it's it just seemed like it's a different guy yesterday. That's for sure. It like, did. Crazy. All right. Play of the game, uh, offensive play of the game. Aaron, you went last. You get to go first. Okay. So my offensive play of the game was Travion Henderson's first touchdown. I thought that his vision 
was awesome. Watching him just kind of weave through because it wasn't a perfect just, you know, drive a, a truck through the hole. But there was a little a little gap, you know, just and he just weaved through the defense and scored a touchdown. I just thought that was fun to watch. It showed how good his vision really is. <laughs> yes, it does. All right. Um, I went with the Stroud, the Harrison touchdown, the last one, his third one there. The fourth touchdown pass that uh, Stroud had, which happened to be the third one to Marvin Harrison. That was a thing of beauty. That was pinpoint accuracy. And only someone with uh, uh, Marvin Harrison Jr.'s length and athletic ability could make that catch. That was that was impressive. That was my offensive play of the game. Chris, what was yours? Eric, I actually went with you again on that one. Uh, you know, it was, like you said, first of all, there, there are very few – Receivers who can make that catch at the college level, especially as young as he is, that was just a thing of beauty to watch. And I'll tell you what, it was pinpoint placement by CJ as well. And it was good protection by the offensive line. So Aaron absolutely want me to give them all an all, uh, Buckeye leaf too. Yeah, why not? <laughs> let's, take a, <laughs> let's take a quick commercial break. We come back, we'll get into all the good stuff. We got a lot of good questions. We got a poll question, and well. We got to take a, a trip around the Big Ten that I'm calling today the good, the bad, and the ugly. Hang tight. The OHIO podcast is brought to you by Mastermind. Mastermind specializes in 360 degree high definition mobile video mapping, GIS integration, and traffic safety studies. Mastermind cares about traffic safety and keeping you safe on the roadway. Visit Mastermind at OnlineMastermind.com. All right, and we are back. And, guys, it's time to uh, address our Facebook poll question for the week. And that question is, what concerns you most about this team after two weeks? Our options were the penalties, Denzel Burke's poor play, Injuries to starters, the slow starts offensively, the lack of creating turnovers. I bet that's got Aaron's vote. And I have no concerns. Well, let me tell you right now, everybody at least has some concern, Eric, because no concerns came in with zero. Injury to starters right now also comes in at a zero. I'm telling you, we got to, I got a little bit of a concern if you got the best receiver in college football on the sidelines. You know he's going to be back, but still. The uh, uh, Before we get into the winner, Eric, what was your thought? Who do, you, was, do you think won? Mine was – well, I, I voted for penalties. Okay. And I, I'll tell you the reason why. I think in football, like most athletes – you know, most sports in general – the thing that you can control is the mental side of the game. And penalties to me, especially personal foul ones, shows yeah. a lack of control and a lack of um, mental control. And, okay. you know, every now and then, if you jump off sides because you're just maybe just a little bit too hyped, a la. Uh, Dwan Jones in week one, which, you know, by the way, did you not notice he had zero penalties yesterday? He solid. So, like I said, he was just a little bit too excited. He'd get that cleaned up. 
But uh, the mental ones are the ones, and again, by guys who shouldn't be committing penalties. Some of the most experienced guys on this team. Blows my mind. That's my biggest concern. All right, Aaron, which one and only one did you choose? I went with penalties as well uh, because, and, and the reason I didn't go with Burke is because that you know his issues can be fixed through coaching. I feel like he's the type of player that's going to learn from film study and from coaching. And if not, next man up. It's that easy, you know. Uh, they're going to find somebody who will play better, um, and I have faith in that. Um, but the penalties that that and that that too can be fixed, but it's just constantly. The same stuff, like Eric said, you know, it's just offsides, personal fouls, that kind of thing, just from experienced, well, we'll say elder statesmen in the room that, you know, that kind of thing shouldn't be happening. So it has to get fixed and it has to get fixed fast. Yeah, I'm with you guys. I went with penalties as well. And an overwhelming number of the listeners also went with penalties. 71% of our listeners said that the penalties are their biggest concern right now after two weeks with this team. So there you have it. We're all in agreement with the fans. Aaron, why don't you go ahead and run through some of our fan questions for us? All righty. So uh, some of the questions we have, uh, they're all pretty great questions, I'll be honest. But uh, we're going to talk about all of them. Because, quite frankly, there's six, and I think Eric has one or two as well uh, through the email box. So, uh, Eric, let's start with you. Brian Lee Oberst asks, who is to blame for the lack of discipline? Too many penalties called on us today and last week. If we do not get that cleaned up, it could cost us against a solid team. Also, how about the game by Harrison Jr. coming up big today? What are your thoughts on that? Let's let's take the second part first, shall we? All right. I think it's awesome. I think if you had if anybody had any doubt that Marvin Harrison Jr. is the second best wide receiver on this team, you can put that to rest right now. I know Emeka Egbuka's looked great in the first two games, and I think he's a solid third option. But uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. I think might be the most NFL talented receiver we have i know jsn is is the better uh best one on the on the team right now well actually he's not because he's injured but you know what i mean he, he, just something about marvin harrison jr to me screams future nfl hall of famer like he's maybe it's his name it's lineage maybe it's just how he looks how he runs routes how good he is at this stage of his of his game um I, that that dude's awesome He's absolutely awesome. <clears throat> as for who's to blame for the lack of discipline on this team, as much as I love the guy, and as much as I believe in him, it starts with the head man, Aaron. It's got to start with Ryan Day. Now, whether he needs to bring more pressure down on Knowles, who then brings more pressure down onto the position coaches, um, however that has to happen, at the end of the day, the head coach is the person that takes responsibility overall for the team, whether it's good or and or bad. And so it's it's Ryan Day at this moment. And and I'll say this. I, I'll give Ryan Day credit for this. He addressed this right after the game was over. It didn't even take anybody bringing it up to him. He brought it up to the media that this has got to stop and it's got to get cleaned up right now. 
So he knows it. And I think it was the Big Ten guys back in the um, studio uh, right after the game was over talked about how he's got his his uh, thumbprints on the pulse of this team so well as a head man that he he's coaching like an elder statesman, like someone with much more experience than what he has. That was only his 40th game as a head coach yesterday. But he immediately talked about cleaning up those penalties before anybody had to bring it to his attention. So it's Ryan Day. Yeah, I, I agree with that. You know, and, and when you think about discipline and teams, you know, who do you think of? I, For me, I think of the military academies, you know, Army, Navy, Air Force. But you know what? Even they have penalties. Do they have them to the extent that we do? No. Do they draw a lot of personal fouls? Also, no. And that's, you know, I mean, we can save ourselves a lot of heartbreak down the road by just simply not mouthing, let people talk. They're just words, whatever, whatever's going on. Keep your hands to yourself. You know, holding, that's going to happen. Offsides, that's going to happen. But uh, personal fouls and things, you know, roughing the passer, questionable. But it's it'll get cleaned up. I got I have confidence in Coach Day and the fact that he does have his thumbprint on, on the pulse of the team like that. That's I think that's extremely important and very valuable. Uh, Chris, I'll go with you for the next question. Also by Brian Lee Oberst. Is it me? Or do we sometimes play at the level of our opponents by not blowing teams out, like letting them hang around and not scoring a lot of points? Seems like we have done that a lot over the last few years. And before you answer, Chris, I've got to say I'm not sure what he's talking about because (laughs) we've averaged the most points uh, in the country last year. And uh, that's that's not by letting teams hang around. What do you think? Yeah, you know, I don't know. This is what I would say. I don't think offensively we have played to the level of our opponent. I think at times defensively we have, uh, specifically last year. Uh, you know, we uh, we let teams kind of hang around that shouldn't have. Um, and, and, you know, I think it's going to improve. We've seen, I think, drastic improvement in that uh, in these first two games uh, as far as the, the performance of the defense. Um, right now, I, I mean, that Notre Dame game, let's face it, isn't looking quite as good as it did, you know, a week ago. Uh, but I thought they did a great job with a team that came in and let's face it, they put up 51 points. I don't care who it is. You know, you put up 51 or 58 points last week. You put up 58 points. You've got some offensive firepower. Uh, so I thought we did a really great job this last week of, you know, not playing down to the opponent. I mean, it was a team that came in, and yes, granted, they played grambling. But uh, you know what? They came in, as Eric and I talked about on the uh, the preview show, you know, it was, they were, what, third in the nation in defense and 12th in the nation in offense, I believe, or vice versa. I can't remember exactly which order it was now because I'm old and senile. But uh, you, you know what? This was a team that I think is going to be a quality team. It's going to be a bowl team. And I thought we handled them very well. So I don't think we have a tendency to play down necessarily offensively. Defensively at times, I think we've just had maybe, and I'm going to say it, we've had some bad defenses in the past, which may give that illusion. Two, I'll give you two examples of where we did last year. Tulsa and Nebraska. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah. he does have a little bit of a point in the in those two games. 
well, let me let me throw a little spin at you here. How much of that was letting them hang in there, as he's suggesting, versus we couldn't stop them? Yeah, that's what it is. defensively we were we were inept. Well, yes. But but the Nebraska game was only twenty six seventeen final. So you can't. That was one of the better defensive performances we had all year. Uh, offensively, that was we were terrible that game. And that's what I'm saying. I, I think that it had a lot more to do with, like, we couldn't stop them from hanging around versus us letting them hang around. And, and Aaron, <laughs> to that end, I mean, if you look at the teams where we do have the closest games, it's teams that do to us what Notre Dame did to us, where they keep our offense off the field. You right. Know, they run the ball. They grind the clock. They shorten the game. Nebraska did that same thing to us uh, last year. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that that definitely has a fa- uh, plays a factor in it. Yeah, that's solid. Uh, Eric, I'll give you the next one. It's a two-parter, but we'll answer the second part because I feel like we have hit penalties over the head at this point enough times. Uh, this one's from Sammy Poston. Uh, does not having JSN hurt the offense from starting off fast? And let me remind you, we scored 14 points in the first quarter. Hi, Sammy. Good question. Um, how am I going to answer this, Aaron? Because I agree, but I disagree at the same time. Well, there's your answer. <laughs> I, mean, I, don't, I, I mean, yeah, I guess I guess where JSN hurts us right now is we are essentially a two wide receiver passing attack. Um, and I, that's not to take anything away from Xavier Johnson and what he accomplished in the Notre Dame game with the two catches, one being a big go-ahead touchdown, and then I think he had a, a catch or two in this game as well. But it became blatantly obvious in this game that his first two options, his go-to guys in the passing attack were Agbuka and Harrison Jr. And if they weren't open... It was, oh, crap, let me get out of here or get sacked. And, oh, there's Kate Stover. Or, oh, there's the running back. There's my my uh, my uh, release valve here. Um, without JSN, I think defenses are able to say, all right, we got to stop this guy and that guy. And, and it, where if you remember last year, when teams had that philosophy with Olave and Wilson, that's when JSN went off the hook about midseason on and just exploded. But getting JSN back to where teams are going to have to concentrate on him, I think is really going to open the door for Egbuka. And he's already done a good job. But imagine if JSN was on the field, what Egbuka will get. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's funny how those third wide receivers end up getting so much attention uh, or so many receptions, rather, when you have guys on the outside, you know, that, that pull away most of the attention and the better secondary players. Uh, we've seen that a lot in the past, haven't we? Um, yeah, so, uh, Chris, I'll give you the next one. And this one's from Eric Osbeck. What is your take on the play at the goal line that was not ruled as a touchdown? Okay, yeah, we were talking a little bit about this one. Uh, in my opinion, he completed the catch. That was a blown call, in my opinion. I felt like he had possession. He made a football move. 
He extended over the goal line. To me, it looked like the, the officials just flat out missed that call. I, I thought that it was a good touchdown. Yeah, I felt the same way when I saw it because, you know, you define a catch as possession and a maneuver, a football move. And he certainly did that. He brought the he caught the ball with his hands, brought it into his body. He turned and then took another step. And then he got hit. And he didn't even get hit. And it showed it on the camera, too, as clear as day. The ball had crossed the plane. So. By definition, that's a touchdown, so maybe these referees need a little train-up on what they're looking at. I don't know, but I'll be honest, man. Yesterday, that was a bad day for refereeing across the board. Look at Alabama and Texas. Are these SEC officials? I don't know. I don't yeah, think so. I think they were Big Ten. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they were Big Ten. Yeah, but, I think so, too. Uh, but it just, you know, I don't know what they were looking at or why it was called the way it was, but it was definitely a bad call. And I'm not even being a homer. If it was the other way around, I would have said the same thing. But yeah, Uh, the next one, the next question I would actually pose to both of you guys, because this is a very interesting question. Thank you, Jeff DeBrosi, for posting this one. Uh, He says, glad to see Harrison Jr. and Stroud uh, fine tune their rhythm. But don't you think Day should be more committed to the run? After last week, I thought Williams would get more touches. As we start facing tougher competition and the pass game is ineffective, how can Day be confident that the run game will be effective? Go ahead first, Eric. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That was the most Army answer I've ever heard you say. They need to run the ball more. Um, Again. He talks about being 50-50, and for the most part, we have been, but oh, I'm telling you right now, man, we've we've got something special in Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams, and I, I just feel like if we go into this thing with the idea that we're going to run the football to open the pass— I still think Ryan Day loves loves him some passing numbers. He just does. And I don't know he's ever going to change. But 28 passes, 26 rushes. It's pretty even. But I would like to see us run the football about 30 to 35 times a game. Well, let me pose this question to you. Do you think that maybe he is confident in the run game and he's not confident in the rhythm of the whole wide receiver room with C.J. Stroud right now, considering that only JSN really has a full complement of playing time with him? And maybe he wants to get that rhythm down because they didn't look that hot against Notre Dame. Granted, Notre Dame had a solid game plan, but he still needs to get in rhythm with the rest of the players like Egbuka, like Harrison Jr., uh, and, and and whoever else they're going to throw in there. Do you think maybe they're throwing the ball more right now because of that? That is that is one of two reasons why, and I know I'm going to play devil's advocate with my answer when I said they should run the ball more here. That is one of them, yes. I think he, it's very important that Stroud gets um, gets some chemistry with Egbuka and uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. down. But I will also say this. I think he doesn't want to overuse Travion and Mayan because after them, Dallin Hayden, the true freshman, is all we've got. 
Yeah, yeah. I was just going to mention that to you. Mention that, Eric. I, you know, I think the injury to Evan Pryor definitely had a serious impact on that. It did. You know, one to keep those two running backs healthy for the full season. It did. It it really did. Okay. Well, uh, Eric, I believe you had a couple of questions submitted as well. Why don't you go ahead and throw those at us? We did, and I, I want to say that we already answered one of them. It was about the uh, touchdown that was taken away that we ended up kicking the field goal on. Uh, that was submitted by Judy K. Davis. She wanted to know why the referees did it. Aaron pretty much answered it. They missed the call. That should have been a touchdown. They said it wasn't a completed pass. It was an incomplete pass. That was a bad call. Um, okay, so we, we covered that one, but thank you for submitting that question, Judy. Uh, this is from Nick Quint. He says, love the podcast. Listen all the time. Thank you, Nick. I had a question for you, and Aaron, this is going to be for you. Since you asked us, uh, Chris and I, the last several, we're going to ask you this one. Throughout last season and this season, I have seen comments on Stroud should run the football more um, or Stroud should tuck it and run. My question is, do you think Stroud should be a pocket passer like he is? Or do you think he should make an effort to be more mobile and be more like Justin Fields if he can be? I do not think he should try to be Justin Fields because the reality of it is, is he's not Justin Fields. Fields was a very good runner, uh, and he is extremely fast uh, for his size and for his position. He is stupid fast. Um, C.J. Stroud is not that. What I would like to see C.J. Stroud do is more of what Bryce Young at Alabama does. Um, he takes what the defense gives him. He doesn't try to force passes. If the and and I will give you the best example from this season against Texas, and this is minus any of the referee BS that we saw. Okay, late in the game, I think there was less than two minutes. Okay. And you'll remember this name, Ryan Watts, comes off the edge, okay, misses the sack. Bryce Young notices that there is a whole side of the field that's open, and he took it. He ran it, and he put his team in a position to win the game. And I cannot sit here and confidently say that C.J. Stroud would have done that. He would have either been sacked or he would have sat there in the pocket longer after avoiding it and either thrown the ball away or thrown an interception or an incomplete pass. I have no confidence that he will do exactly whatever it takes to win a game. Ouch. That I know that that hurts to hear, and I am not bashing C.J. Stroud, okay? But that's just the truth of it. That's how I feel because I have seen him with opportunities to pick up a first down with his legs. He didn't even have to get hit, get to the sticks, run out of bounce, and he didn't do it. He threw an incomplete pass or he threw it away. Primarily against Oregon last year. Saw it a lot. Yeah, but that was uh, not to make I can't excuses, listen. but that was only his second game. I understand, but it was a theme throughout the season. We talked about it all year playing. last year. You're right. You're right. I'm not going to argue that. He doesn't want to run the football. He doesn't. And he straight said it's not his job. He's not a running back. Well, that's fine and dandy. But I'll be honest, there's a lot of big name quarterbacks who are better than he'll probably ever be. And it's again, I'm not crapping on the kid, but Peyton Manning, anybody. He wasn't scared to run. Ben Roethlisberger, not scared to run. Joe Burrow, not yeah. scared to run. Would you be scared to run if you were Peyton Manning, if you had that big of a forehead? Jesus, dude. Come I mean, on. That, that I'm thing, just, look, I'm not saying he has to be Mike Vick, okay? But, I mean, come on, man. Brett Favre would take off with it. 
You know what I mean? Joe Brett Montana Clark took off, off with period. it. I'm just – yeah, but he's not a scrambler. And I think we both agree C.J. Stroud is way more athletic. You know what I mean? But that's just what I'm hitting <laughs> at. If Alabama blitzed off the edge in the CFP, is C.J. Stroud going to take off with it if he avoids the sack? Or is he going to cost us the game? That's <clears throat> right. that's why Bryce Young won the Heisman. Right now I'm not confident he would take off. And he's not given me any reason to be confident that he would take off and run and get, and get those yards. But so my, I guess my question is, should he be more like Justin Fields then? Because you're giving the argument that, yes, he should be. But at the same time, you're, you're also telling me that you don't think he can. No, I'm not saying he should be. I'm not suggesting that at all. I would never, ever put C.J. Stroud in a situation to do a zone read. I would never do that. RPO, maybe, but not. Not a zone read, not not any of that. I, w- I wouldn't suggest that he do, does that at all. That's why we don't do it anymore. That stopped when Justin Fields left. But what I am saying, okay, because Justin Fields would run from the 50 and score a touchdown. He would dodge, run guys over, whatever he had to do. Juke them, spin. I'm not saying C.J. Stroud needs to do that. I'm saying if it's third and six and the side of the field opens, run to the sticks and get out of bounds. He won't do that. That's all I'm asking of the kid. Gotcha. Chris, do you want to you want to chime in here on this? This is a pretty good debate here. You you know, I'm kind of with Aaron on this. He he doesn't have the ability to be. Justin Fields, so he shouldn't try to play like that. I mean, obviously, we saw what happened when we had JT and Cardale when when he tried to fit a square peg into a round hole. He can't run the same type of offense that Justin Fields did. What he can do, though, as Aaron said, is he can extend plays and he can extend drives by, you know, just taking that four or five yard run and getting out of bounds. I mean, I know that he's out there and he's out there for two reasons. One, he wants to win a national championship and whether he admits it or not, he wants to win a Heisman trophy. And he's not going to get that by running the ball. He's going to get that by throwing touchdowns. But you know what? Run the damn ball five yards, get out of bounds, extend your drive and then throw your touchdown. You know, because if it comes down to it, I, I'm kind of with Aaron. I'm not 100% sure he's going to do whatever it takes to win the game. So, I, I don't know. I, I, I love the kid's ability. I love what he does out there. But sometimes, you know, you, you got to have that team first mentality. While I think he's developing into a better leader, I don't know that he's completely team first just yet. I was trying to do a quick search on how many rushing yards Dwayne Haskins had back in 2018. Because I think that is what we should expect from him. But I think Dwayne Haskins even ran the ball more than CJ is doing. And again, he would do exactly what Aaron was talking about. He wouldn't go to try to run 30 yards downfield. But he would step, you know, get he 100, 108 yards rushing forward and get three yards, you know, get 108. Yeah, 108 yards rushing through 14 games. So that's basically almost a little less than 10 a game. But then again, but you also got to keep an account. Sacks are taken into that account as well. Right. But we can all three attest to the fact that we saw Dwayne Haskins run for three, four, whatever yards if he needed to for a first down. And, and we know pretty. CJ can run. We saw it in his first game against Michigan State. 
that that first year when he came in in relief against Michigan State, he had what a almost a fifty yard touchdown run. Yeah, he did. I, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, and I'm not suggesting that he needs to do that. I'm not at all. But I mean, we know he can run a little bit if he really wants to. He just will not do it. I wonder which if I wonder which media member would have the cojones to go up to CJ Stroud and ask that question. You're talking to him. <laughs> It'd be us. It'd be me. I'd straight go I'd go right to him. Time. I would go right to him and say, "Hey, Bryce Young is willing to do whatever it takes and on film you're not. What 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 do we got to do for you to pick up 6 yards on a third down?" Woo. That'd be the first and last question the Ohio State media people would allow you to ask. <laughs> That's a fact, but you know what? That's the question that needs asked. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, I think we uncovered some some good stuff about this team right now. So it sounds like to me, and, and before we before we put a bow on this podcast for the Buckeyes, that the weaknesses of this team are defensively too many too many mental mistakes with penalties. And offensively, we have a quarterback not willing to tuck it and run if that's what it takes to win the game. True or false? Uh, on my part, true. And I again, I, I want to emphasize this because it sounded I, I was pretty harsh right there. I love C.J. Stroud. The kid is extremely talented, and I I am not crapping on him. But right now, I just have questions uh, regarding how much he really, really wants to win. Chris, true or false in that statement? I, yeah, I got to go true as well. You know, I think if we would see it a few times, he would probably quiet a whole lot of the critics. He'd shut me up. Yeah, I think he would, he would quiet all those naysayers, you know, and people who are being critical like us. If he would just, you know, Run five yards downfield, turn out of bounds, and, and get get a first down to extend the drive. You know, yeah, I, I, that would go a long way. Yeah, and I'm not saying like, you know, that it's all the time or anything. He doesn't need to do it against Arkansas State, but like, you know, against I know he did it against that team up north once last year, but maybe yeah. if he had did it a few more times and extended the drive, maybe the outcome's a little different. You know, because I mean, I, I, you know, I talked last week about the hard running of Mayan Williams and what that does for the morale of the offensive line. Well, it does even more than that when your quarterback is willing to lay it out for a first down when it's third and six, third and five, whatever, you know what I mean? Instead of trying to force a pass or throw it out of bounds and punting it. Makes sense to me, guys. I think this has been a very, very eye opening discussion and some the things that we've uncovered today about this team as we're two weeks into the season that need to improve. And if we see it, you can uh, be confident that Ryan Day and this coaching staff sees it. So we'll see how it looks maybe a little bit differently in week three. All right, let's turn our attention to the Big Ten. Let's take a trip around Big Ten. I, I hinted earlier that I'm calling this the good, the bad, and the ugly. Let's start with the good, shall we? By the way, that's one of my favorite movies of all time, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, Sounds like us. <laughs> it's describing you, our <laughs> it's describing the you, cast of this podcast, folks. I will, I will let you all determine who's who in that. <laughs> well, we know who's ugly. 
Oh, you shouldn't talk about Chris like that. That's I so own it. <laughs> so the good. All right. The team up north absolutely hammers down Hawaii 56 to 10. The Loserines move to 2 and 0 on the year. JJ McCarthy has solidified himself as the new starting quarterback up there, which is actually probably the best, smartest move Jimmy has made since he has been there. Uh, that guy is uber talented compared to Kate McNamara. Uh, however, don't get too excited about this, Sean. Hawaii was uh, is now 0-3, and they were 0-2 going into that game. And I'm pretty sure that the local high school team here, Delaware, would give Hawaii a, ch- a challenge, man. That team looked inept. Now, I'm sure you're going to tell me, Sean, that it's because you're amazing defense and just all the tools and, and talents you have on the offensive side of the ball. But let's hold that excitement down a little bit until you actually play someone with a pulse, shall we? Minnesota, uh, they absolutely destroyed the Leathernecks from Western Illinois, another uh, winless team. 62-10 to 10 with that victory. The Gophers go to 2-0 on the season. Uh, keeping with the theme, the Spartans of Michigan State blanked 1-0 Akron. Akron falls to 1-1. Scores no points against this da- vaunted Sparty defense out of nowhere. 40 or 52 to nothing. Michigan State looking good. All right, Kevin, your turn. Penn State, they look good against Ohio U. OU came in 1 and 0. They'll leave 1 and 1. The Nittany Lions are now 2 and 0 after a 46 to, was it zero? I don't know what. I, I wrote down zero, but I'm pretty sure they scored. Was it 10? I think. 10, I believe, Eric. Yeah, so Penn State won comfortably. Looks like they've got a pretty good freshman running back as well there in Happy Valley. The team that I'm pretty high on, Maryland, they moved to 2-0 as well. They uh, defeat 0-3 Charlotte, 56-21. That offense is awesome. Defense, not so much, but we knew that coming into the season already. Purdue bounces back after their opening season loss to Penn State by defeating Indiana State, Indiana State and FBS school, 56-0. to zero. All right, uh, that means the Indiana State uh, fighting Larry Birds are now 0-2, and, and the Boilermakers move to 1-1. One one. Rutgers is 2-0. Break out the – break out the uh, – the Scarlet Knights go into a bowl game chant, man. They beat 0-2 Wagner 66-7. But quite frankly, that's how you should beat Wagner, to be quite honest. Again, we'll see what Rutgers is made of uh, here soon. The team that I thought would only get two wins on the season total just did that in their first two weeks in Indiana. They defeated the Potatoes of Idaho 35-22. to the Idaho Potatoes go to 0-2, while the Indiana Hoosiers go to 2-0. and We'll see if they win another game this year. Bouncing back from losing to those Hoosiers is the uh, Illinois Fighting Illini, who surprisingly beat it, I thought was going to be a decent team. Virginia, they curb stomped them 24-3. I, I don't know of a, of a team right now in the Big Ten that's more Jekyll and Hyde than Illinois guys. Like, they looked pretty good the first week, terrible the second week, really good the third week. Yeah, uh, th- That's some inconsistency there, but they were good. So that's the good. Now let's turn over to the bad. Wisconsin loses to Washington State 
I don't know of too many teams in the Big Ten that should lose to Washington State. They're not great, especially Wisconsin. They lose 17 to 14, and they did it at home. They lost at home. That was a bad loss for Wisconsin, who falls to one and one and one. The Cougars now are two and zero. Oh. Another bad loss. Northwestern, after their big win to start the season over Nebraska, uh, they lose 31 to 23 to Duke. That they have lost in the last six seasons. They have lost four times to Duke. They're zero and four against Duke. How about Northwestern? You don't schedule Duke anymore. You can't beat them. I don't. Hmm. Duke Duke could walk in with only 12 players and be called the mighty the mighty orphans, and somehow they would still beat Northwestern. So stop stop scheduling them, okay? That's the bad. Now the ugly. Let's start, and and, and here we're going to dive into these teams. Let's start over in the cornfields of Iowa, where Iowa gets beat 10 to seven. By Iowa State. Iowa State go, moves to 2-0. Iowa moves to 1-1. In their first two games, which included, I believe, North Dakota State, if I'm not mistaken, and now Iowa State, the offense of Iowa has scored a total of seven, excuse me, ten points. A field goal and one touchdown and extra point. Offensively, they are averaging five points a game. Defensively, defensively, they are averaging, uh, they've given up 13. So they're giving up six and a half. So defensively, they're only giving up six and a half points. One of the best defenses in college football. Offensively, they're only scoring five a game. One of the worst offenses ever in the history of college football. Guys. Tell me what's happening in Iowa, Aaron. They're just good. I don't know what you want me to say. They're just really solid football team. <laughs> solid at what? <laughs> I mean, defensively, they're great, dude. I don't know. I don't know anymore. It's Iowa, dude. All right. Too much, too much cornbread, I guess. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Who's the offensive coordinator in Iowa? It's his boy, yeah. Ference Jr. Yeah. That's right. So, hey, Kurt, what are you going to do about that OC, buddy? You going to go fire the old boy? Can you imagine the the, dynam- the dynamic right there right now? Well, I mean, your, your son's failing miserably. Bad. I mean, historically bad. How do you correct that if you're Kirk Ferentz? With a whooping. Take the old belt out. Chris, does he, can he fire him? Can he demote him? What's he do? You know, I, I don't know if him demoting would help at this point, Eric. This guy is just bad. He, I mean, you are literally, you've got a defense that's giving up less than a touchdown a game, and you can't score two field goals a game on offense. I, 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 it's, it's awful. I feel so bad for those defensive players because, you know, a lot of these guys who are returning are coming off this, the, the you know, the, the Big Ten championship game last year. And they are now going through what is just a miserable experience. And, and these guys have to be gassed because that offense can't be out there more than three plays, you know, on a drive. It, they just are not good. Uh, they need a serious change in offensive coordinator. And, and obviously, 
I think there's probably a few position coaches on that side of the ball who also need to be uh, filing for unemployment this week. Because I'll tell you, that offense needs a major overhaul. This this is a contending team if they have in the Big Ten at least if they have an average offense. Mm-hmm. This is a Big Ten championship defense. defense. Absolutely, yeah. it's great. It's a great defense. Yeah, that offense is just historically awful. That that is a defense. That's the defense I think we struggle against the most when we come to play them. But it's also not a concern to me because I know they can't put a touchdown on the board. Wow. They'll pull it together against us. You watch. Just kidding. It's ugly. They can't pull it together at practice. No. It's ugly. It, it's why I put it under the ugly. That's the first ugly. It's bad in Iowa right now, in Iowa City. Where is it worse, Eric? Lincoln, Nebraska, the other, pla- other place where they have a lot of corn. Um. Georgia Southern, 45. Nebraska, 42. Scott Frost, you your buyout in on October 1st would have been half of what it was today, and you are so bad that Nebraska said we can't wait another week. You're fired. See ya. Kind of crazy, huh? I would like for you, Chris and Aaron, I'll start with you, Chris, to sum up. The Scott Frost era at Nebraska for me. Go. Horrible. I mean, the guy, he's coming off a national championship, Eric. This is the guy who wanted Alabama. You know, when when Nebraska brought, uh, brought him in, he was the golden boy. He played there. Uh, you know, he was supposed to redeem this program. And all he has done is take it to a new, more humiliating low than before he arrived. Uh, you know what? Bo Pelini was less of an embarrassment to this program than Scott Frost by far. Uh, you know, it, it, it's awful. There, there is no words to describe just how bad he squandered the town of so many student athletes. Because it wasn't a lack of talent on this team. Yeah, they may not have Ohio State talent. They may not have that team up north talent. But they had the kind of talent that they should have been competing, in, at least in the Big Ten West. And it was wasted. Mm. Uh, he is, I think, and, and I'll say it, possibly the worst coach I have ever seen in the Big Ten. Aaron, please sum up the Scott Frost era at Nebraska. Yeah. Um, I feel like uh, this is – I don't this is kind of what we were hoping was going to happen to Jim Harbaugh, you know, like the favorite son coming home to save the day. And then he just uh, didn't. <laughs> uh, but that's that's pretty much what Chris said. I, I don't think I could really say it much better. It's just been a disaster, uh, a completely failed experiment. Um, best of luck to you, bud. Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. My. uh my uh, Scott Frost era be summed up like this. Oh, how we miss the days of Bo Pelini and nine, nine win seasons that <laughs> we sent out the door. That's where Nebraska's at right now. So that means this. Who's going to replace them? We're going to play a game to finish this uh, this week's episode called 
yes or no on whether you think this is a viable option for Nebraska to hire. Now, I have looked at some of uh, what the uh, national media is saying is the is the list, the wish list. So this is this is a yes or no. You think, yes, this is a viable option for both Nebraska and this particular coach or no. Here we go. Starting with the biggest name out there. One Urban Meyer, Aaron. Yes or no? Viable option. I say that it is viable, okay? And I say that because he also – Urban Meyer, that is, also said he would not coach in the NFL unless it was for the Cowboys. And then we saw him go to the Jaguars and start kicking kickers. So I think that it's vi- <laughs> it's viable. I don't know how likely it is, but it's viable. Chris, yes or no, viable to Urban Meyer <laughs> goes to Lincoln. Uh, you know, I don't know how viable it is, Eric. I, I could see it happening, but I just don't know how happy Urban's going to be. I don't think there are enough, you know, a gentlemen's clubs in Lincoln, Nebraska to keep the man satisfied. I was going to say, do they have an Applebee's there? That, Oof. Too soon? Uh, not too soon at all. all I right. enjoyed that. <laughs> so next up, this is the one that everybody wants as far as being in Lincoln, I hear. This is this is their number one wish list guy. Luke Fickle. Yes or no, Aaron? No. No, I think he has put way too much effort and care into the, the Cincinnati program to inherit a dumpster fire in Nebraska trying to save it. I, I, I feel like he's just – no, that's not that's not happening. Chris? I got to go no as well here, Eric. I think we, we beat it into the ground. I think there's one, possibly two, but I think primarily only one Big Ten program that Luke Fickle will leave Cincinnati for. And that's if Brian Day decides to exit Ohio State. This guy was uh, was considered a possible candidate before Ryan Day was hired as someone who the media thought should be interviewed. He was also rumored to be the replacement for Jim Harbaugh. He just beat Kirk Ferentz 10 to 7. That's Iowa State's Matt Campbell, Chris. Yes or no? Viable option to leave Ames, Iowa for Lincoln, Nebraska. Matt Campbell. Yeah, I like this option, actually, Eric, and I'll tell you why. I think that the disarray that's going on with the Big 12 right now, um, all the moving around, the restructuring, the uncertainty of of all the other conferences outside of the SEC and the Big 10, make this a nice option. I think that the Big 10 obviously is a huge step up over the Big 12 at this point. And additionally, you know, I think that – Nebraska, as I've said, this is a team that can compete. This, It's kind of a market where he's already used to recruiting. He's got a name out there. Uh, and I think it is – while Iowa State, he's really improved this program. I think he's probably taken it as far as it can go. I think that a good logical step would be to take that Nebraska program, make it a power contender in the Big Ten West, and I think he could do it. Aaron. Yeah, I, I agree with Chris. I think this was probably their best option because he's not uh, – Matt Campbell's not a super old guy by any means. 
Uh, and I think that given the new transfer portal and NIL things, you know, I, I feel like he could probably pitch Nebraska's legacy. And you would think that, well, why wouldn't Scott Frost, given his past? But apparently he failed. Um, and I think that Matt Campbell can take, if he could take Iowa State and do the work that he did, I, I feel like he could probably bring Nebraska back to relevancy at a minimum. He couldn't do much worse. I'll say that. All right. Uh, here's an interesting name for you. This guy was over at Penn State, left for the NFL, didn't go so hot for him down in Houston. Currently, he's the OC in Alabama, which has become basically the um, the finishing school. They called Ryan Day the finisher. Sorry, they called Urban Meyer the finishing school for guys uh, who need rehabbed and sent back out to uh, college football. But this is also what happens down there in Tuscaloosa. That's one Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien, can yes or no, Chris, viable option here? I think he's a viable option. I don't know if he's attainable. Uh, you know, the Nebraska program, if you look at the programs that that Saban's assistants tend to get. Uh, a lot of times the SEC program, uh, you know, Skarkeesian, uh, he uh, took over that Texas program. Uh, Nebraska, again, I don't think is quite as lofty as, as what his assistants are used to getting. Uh, I mean, you're talking about a guy who's produced, uh, the, the guy who just beat him over there at Georgia and Kirby Smart, uh, you know, he's, he's – I think that as an Alabama OC, you expect a little bit more than Nebraska. So I think that he would be a viable uh, option. I think he would be a very good option if you're Nebraska. I just don't know if you can get it. Aaron? Yeah, I I think that Bill O'Brien actually is, is viable. Um, I, you know, he took over Penn State. At, at one point, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and then I don't think he didn't really do much, but then he went to the NFL, right, as you said, and now he's back. And he's learned quite a bit under Nick Saban, you know, the whole, like you said, rehabilitation program thing. I feel like he could – he definitely could take the reins. I think that's viable for sure. If he wants to be a head coach at a big-time program again, which he has experience at Penn State – when he went to Penn State, they were just coming off of the the terrible yeah. sanctions and stuff. So, so I thought he did a good job of keeping that ship afloat there. Um, I think this is a, this is a viable option for him. I really do. All right, I got two more here for you. Let's go down to Kentucky. He's not Jim Sto- or he's not the more popular Stoops, but right now he's the Stoops that's coaching, coming off a huge win over Florida. Mark Stoops. What do you think, Aaron? Viable option here. Uh, no, I, I don't think so. And I, I think that it's because he's having so much success at Kentucky right now. Why would you leave? That's just my opinion on it. Chris. Yeah. You know, I can see Aaron's point with that. That was originally my train of thought as well. However, I would say this, he may be a viable option from this standpoint. If you are in the SEC, you know, Unless you're at Georgia or at Alabama, you're always going to be at, at best, typically the second best team in your division. Well, not um, only that, Chris, he's going to be the second best program in his in his own school. 
Yeah, exactly. Is is a basketball school. No matter how much they want to say they're a football school, they are a basketball school. Mm -hmm. It's like Indiana. Yeah, very much so. So, yeah, I I think he is a viable option. I think if the offer's right, I think he would be a tremendous fit. Again, he's now got some experience. He's recruiting the Midwest already. So I think he would be a great fit at Nebraska. And I think, uh, much like we'd said uh, earlier, uh, earlier on with, um, yeah, who we just talked about a few minutes ago. Uh, Uh, O'Brien or? Yeah. Matt Campbell, Bill O'Brien? Both, Matt Campbell and Bill O'Brien, actually. Uh, you know, I think that he has the ability to actually bring that program back to relevance. Here's one that's interesting for you guys. So this is a name that keeps floating around the Nebraska boards here as a very real candidate that's someone who they like. This is a Wisconsin kid. I'll call him kid. He's very young. Jim Leonard, the D.C. for Wisconsin. The, the worry is, is if they hire him and he has success, the first time the Wisconsin job comes open, he would leave to go back to his alma mater because he is a badger through and through. Yes or no, viable option, Jim Leonard for Nebraska, Aaron. Uh, I, I, you know, given the state that they're in, I, I feel like they want a very fast turnaround and I, I don't want to say they've thrown this season away at week two or three, but they might have. I, I feel like it's it's viable that they, they at least interview him. But uh, giving the reins over to somebody that's so young and a tradition-rich program like Nebraska, I don't know that they would necessarily hire him. But who knows? I've seen crazier things. So, uh, I mean, I'll say viable, but barely Chris yeah I'm with Aaron here too very very barely viable and I'll tell you why this is a team that like Aaron said they want to turn it around now they have some talent on that team already and they are a tradition rich program and I'll tell you there's there's two words right now that I think hurt his his chances in going from that DC spot right into a head coaching position at a tradition rich program and those two words are Marcus Freeman. The way he struggled early on, I, you know, you don't want to – and I think he'll do great eventually. But the way he struggled early on, I definitely think that could have an impact on the way a program like Nebraska looks at hiring somebody with that kind of limited uh, head coaching experience. Real quick, Aaron, you got anybody else that you want to throw out there as someone that could be a viable option? Uh, yeah. So there's a name of a guy named Jamie Chadwell. He is right now the head coach at Coastal Carolina, and he over the past three seasons is 24 and three. And I'm not saying Coastal Carolina plays the most difficult schedule, but the fact that he's 24 and three and they have knocked off a few uh, larger FBS schools. Uh, says a lot about him, um, and a lot of experts are surprised that the SEC has not scooped him up sooner. Um, he's a very creative offensive coach, um, which is honestly leads mostly to their success in how they've won their games. But uh, I don't know that the SEC necessarily was looking at him as a head coach or an, uh, an offensive coordinator or whatever, but 
a lot of experts are surprised he was not scooped up by that conference in some form or fashion prior to this. But I feel like he is somebody that they would interview, they would bring in and, and, and say, hey, what can you do here? So uh, that's just one name that I would like to bring up. I think that's a viable option. Because, I mean, the name of the game in, in, in college football is you don't make lateral moves. You know, when you're that successful, you want to take that step up. Coastal Carolina, I think they're in the Sun Belt, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so for him to uh, take in or inherit a lot of the talent that's at Nebraska right now and then start building that program back, I think that's very possible. Chris, you got anybody else? I'll tell you what one that I've heard a few rumors about. I don't know how viable it is, but what about Josh Gaddis? Ooh. Hey, I didn't even I, think about that. Great offensive mind. And you know, they, they seem to be on the same page right now, but I believe there was still a little bit of friction between him and Harbaugh going back to the way that Harbaugh kind of left him hanging. We decided to go for it with the NFL and then came back. Uh, you know, I think this is a guy who, Definitely has a bright future. I think he will be a head coach eventually. And I'll tell you what, I, I think Nebraska could be a good opportunity for him to get his feet wet. Again, are they going to want to hire somebody who does not have that head coaching experience? I don't know. But I, I've, I've heard the name floated out there, and I think it would be a great fit. How about this one? Since they were a little bit frosty for a few years, why don't they just go all the way in and go with Hugh Freeze? Hmm. I love Hugh. He's solid. Dude, no, no he's right? it up at Liberty. Now, I, I, I know Ole Miss, he got in trouble for quite a few unsavory things there. But uh, he's a winner, dude. He absolutely is a winner everywhere he goes. What, so, what about Eddie O? Oh, gosh, no way. Eddie O's looking for work. They have to have somebody who they can at least understand when he speaks in Lincoln. That's That's a terrible... That's a terrible match. All right. I told you all I had a crazy name for you guys. I lied to you at the beginning of the show. It's not Bo Pelini. <laughs> Seemed too obvious. It, 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 it's not Brian Hartline either. I think the smart move for them would be to take somebody who's got some tread left on the tires, who has head coaching experience, who would right the ship immediately, would make them at least a 500 team and better right off the bat. Now, maybe not a long-term fix here, obviously, but someone who can write the ship for a few years and get it going in the right direction again, and then turn the reins over to a younger name who they can bring in and, and kind of can, can prepare and get ready to become a head coach. Rich Rod. Kevin Wilson. You know, I'd actually that. I'd seen it on Twitter. Someone had floated that one out there. Think of what he did in Indiana. He's been he's it's he's removed long enough from the Hoosiers that that whole fiasco doesn't mean anything anymore. He's had great success as the OC under Urban Meyer now Ryan Day. If they're smart, they would give him a call. He wants to be a head coach again. He talked about it. Akron wasn't the right fit for him. I don't blame him one bit there. But Lincoln, Lincoln, uh, Nebraska is not Akron, Ohio here. And you know, Eric, it would be a good fit because Ohio State has no C in waiting. Hmm? Brian Hartline. 
right. Yeah, I go with that. I think it's, it's, a, it's a it's a good fit. Absolutely, I guarantee you, he interviews. Uh, if if he calls, he would take the phone call. I, I bet. Promise you, he'd yeah. have to. Why wouldn't he? That's right. that's that'd be silly not to. He's not a big he's not a big big name. He's not Urban Meyer, you know. He's not Luke Fickle. He's not Matt Campbell. You know, he's none of those guys, but he's someone who would come in and offer stability to the program right away. Yeah, uh, and has I'll, experience turning yeah. teams around. And like you said, he can give you five days solid years. Yeah, he can give you time to prepare your your next, you know, great offensive mind, young guy, whoever that wants to be, your, your Ryan Day, your Lincoln Riley. That seems to be kind of what college football does now. Your Brian Hartline, you get a young guy in, you move him through your program, you mold him into what you want him to be, and then when the time is right, you let him step in and take over the keys to the program. That seems to be kind of the success that a lot of programs go if they can't poach a big name from another big program, such as Miami did when they took Oregon's coach and, you know, what they do in the SEC all the time. This, I think, in all honesty, would be – now, he's not a name I've heard. He's just a crazy thought that I came up with. That is my – if I'm the AD in Nebraska, he's got to be on my list to just talk to. Because some of these other guys are bringing baggage with them. Hugh Freeze, that's a lot of baggage. Bill O'Brien's got some baggage. You know, he's got a past here. Yeah. Urban Meyer, there's a there's a whole boatload of baggage there. That's just yeah, your player and your players may get physically assaulted. <sighs> so kicking kickers, anybody? If if you can't if, <laughs> sorry. If Luke, yeah. I still will never forget the day you called him dumpster juice. You know, if you can't get Luke Fickle to pick up the phone and Matt Campbell's like, ah, no thanks. I'm serious. I'm talking Kevin Wilson. My two cents. Yeah. I like it. All right. Well, that's our show, guys. It's I know this was an extra long one, but after having a short show on Thursday – we kind of deserve to give you something a little bit more. We'll be back to, on Thursday evening to preview the Toledo game and looking forward to that. Also, in two weeks, Chris and I will be doing a live show in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. With, yes, with the Pittsburgh Alumni Association. And uh, before the Wisconsin game, one hour before kickoff with Wisconsin, whether that's noon, 3.30, uh, 7.30, we will be there an hour before kickoff. More details to come. We will be giving those to you shortly. Um, again, like I said, Thursday we have the preview for the Toledo game. And then Tuesday, Chris and I will have an episode of Varsity videos for you as well. As always, be kind to one another. I owe someone's OH and sing Carmen, Ohio with all your heart. And until next time, OH! I Go Bucks. Oh, come, let's sing Ohio's praise and songs through armor while our hearts rebounding thrill. And joy which death alone can still. 
summer's heat or winter's cold. The seasons pass, the years will roll. Time and change will surely show how firm thy friendship. Ohio. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.